option to give in and make a treaty with Hitler, the Prime Minister Winston Churchill seemed to have only two choices, to be overtaken by force and see your countrymen killed, or give in and be submissive to a horrible dictator. In the end, that, in that decision, turn on my thing here. In the end of that decision, Winston was encouraged in heart and decided another route. Fight back, no matter what the consequences. If defeated, defeated, standing for right. Thus his famous quote, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. When backed in a corner by the bully, the first thing to do, and uh, my son Tim does a lot of self-defense kind of classes, and in any of those, which is pretty, what's pretty much taught is to first of all find the best way out of the grip of that enemy. And it takes a plan. You come up with a plan, a commitment to it, an all-out effort, and then you may need some help from above to get out of a situation where you're overpowered. This is exactly what England did to bring home to safety nearly all of the men trapped at Dunkirk. It was called Operation Dynamo. And the escape was nothing short of miraculous. It reminds me of the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. They have no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. You know, the next step of an army that we talked about is to build your walls of defense. Our message last week talked about the various areas of breaches in the Christian walls of defense. I should like to rename the last week's message to pull up your breaches. I thought that would be a pretty good catchy, catchy title. Now the common breaches were the breach of lust, breach of ease, the breach of transitions, breach of pride, breach of overzealousness, the breach of physical and mental challenges. And these are the common areas that the enemy attacks. And I'd like to add one more. I wished I would have put on there because it's so common, and that's the breach of oversensitivity. You can jot that one down on your last week's notes, and I'll not talk about that anymore. Now, I'm going to pause here a little bit and let you think about something. In World War II, it was the British who was facing giving up their independence as a country to a country with a tyrant rule, ruler named Hitler. But who was the bully tyrant ruler that had future America pinned in a corner in the mid-1700s? Of all people, it was the British. Tomorrow we celebrate our country's Independence Day from British tyranny. It took saying never. It required the giving of lives, give me liberty, or give me death. I know it's been a long time, but we should never forget what it took for this country to be birthed. It took resolve, courage, a rise to unity, and a tenacity to fight a superior army. And God saw it through. Perhaps Great Britain took a page out of early American history to find its resolve and courage to fight for its autonomy and freedom against the Nazi and Hitler. 
Now, in honor of our country, who formed, who forged a new form of government, of democracy, of which the world would watch to see if it would last. This was a new thing, never seen in the world. A country who fought a bigger foe than the British, the battle from within. The biggest battle this country faced was the Civil War. Brother fighting against brother. A problem of unity. When all said and done, the United States of America came out and stood to become the model for the world to pattern their governments after. This is not a light thing, what this country did. In honor of that, I'd like to say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. So if everybody would stand, we got our flag here. <clears throat> I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. All right, so I can see you're forgetting some of the words already, all right? All right, you may be seated. Now, moving back to the World War II theme, today's message moves from the defense, from the defensive to the offensive. World War II was also marked by a great offensive strategy called what, John? Starts with a D and ends with a day. D-Day. <laughs> All right. This is when the Allied forces courageously went on the offensive and stormed the beaches at Normandy. It is good to take a stand for right. It is good to figure a way to get out of the enemy's clutch. It's good to build defensive walls and repair any of the breaches in it. But I can't think of any game or battle that is not won by offense. You commonly hear in a football game that it was the defense that won the game. And I understand what they're saying. However, the winner of the game is the one with the best score, and only an offense scores. Nobody won with a zero. The best you can do is tie. <laughs> it needs an offense. I've been in many a dodgeball games. The last thing you want to do is play defense. That is a sure way to lose. You win by offense, by attacking and aggressing. Even if the ball's being thrown at you, you make the play to catch that ball. You have that offensive feeling. Now, in the Christian life, we don't battle in the flesh, do we? But in the spirit. As Christians, we have one offensive directive. And there's a great name to it. Jesus gave that to us before he ascended to the Father. That is the Great Commission to get the gospel out to all the world. However, trials come and try to knock us off our task, and we can't afford to do that. Today's message will be called D-Day, How to Have an Unbeatable Offensive Plan. Let's pray. Father, pray your blessings upon this message. It's such a simple message. I'm excited about it. I'm excited because I believe you showed it to me and I can share it with others. It's something we can remember. It's something that makes sense and it's in our Word of God. And so, Father, I pray you bless this message. Help me to give it the way you want me to give it. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, there are countless trials men have gone through in the Bible. For the most part, many of these trials represent failures and consequences to learn what not to do. Okay? We're going to look at four people in the Bible who had severe trials. I mean severe difficulties that they had to go through. But unlike most others in the Bible, these men came out victorious and all the better for it. Each of these men had many wonderful attributes, okay? But if you see it like I believe God showed it to me, you will see that each one had a particular or standout offensive attribute about their life through that trial. One thing that just just glares out in it. So we're going to find four of those. Those are going to be the four D's in our D-Day, okay? So when I refer to D, it's, it's, it's the four D's in the message, and there's going to be four men associated with those four D's. So let's first examine the man Joseph, and you could go to Genesis chapter 37 if you want to page through. I've got a lot of scriptures here, so I probably won't spend a lot of time um, stopping and waiting. But if you can follow through, follow through what you can. Joseph is going to be in Genesis, all right? <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 37, verse 13. Let's see if you can find... Um, we're going to see Joseph goes through a, a massive trial over a longer period of time than the others. Um, and if we go through his life, we're going to see if we come up with the same great offensive trait in our first D of the D-Day message. Genesis 37, verse 13. And I'll emphasize some words, so it'll make it pretty easy for you to, to, to see where I'm going with this. And Israel said unto Joseph, his dad, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. Genesis 37, 28. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Genesis 37, 36. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Genesis 39, 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 4. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer in his house and all that he had put into his hand. Let's look at Genesis chapter 39, um, verse 19. And it came to pass when his master heard of the words of his wife, which he, he, she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy, servant, did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's masters took him, put him into the prison, place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison 
committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Let's go to Genesis chapter 40, verse 12. And Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it, the three branches are the three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand, and the former manner when thou was his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should keep me into the dungeon. So here he is interpreting a dream, serving the butler and the baker. Genesis 40:23. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. 41, verse 9, Genesis 41, 9. Then spake the chief butler unto Pharaoh, saying, I do remember my faults this day. Pharaoh was wroth with me, his servants, and put me in the ward and the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker. And we dreamed a dream in one night, and I and he, and we dreamed each man according to the interpretation of his dream. And there was within us a young man, a Hebrew servant, servant to the captain of the guard. And we told him and interpreted to us our dreams to each man according to his dream he did interpret. And it came to pass as he interpreted to us, so it was me. So it was me he restored unto mine office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he showed and he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Genesis 41, 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh take out a man discreet, wise, and set him over, Egypt, over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land, and take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that come, and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Verse 40, Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto all thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Genesis 41.5, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said, He hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. In the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. This wasn't an easy thing. This was an afflicted, difficult time of life. But you'd hardly know it unless you've seen how he named his, his boys here. 
Genesis 41:55. when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Now this is like a true boss. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. <laughs> Joseph served, man. This was a load that he had put on him. Genesis 45. Let's go to verse 5. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. He finally meets his brothers. He is just, his heart is melted for him. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be ne neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was so that you sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So hopefully you figured out with Joseph what I think is the standout offensive thing that he did in his life under all that difficulty of many years. <laughs> he served. That was the key. It didn't matter who it was. He served his father in the beginning. He served whoever he was under. He served in the prison. He served the people in the prison. He served Pharaoh. And he served his stinking rotten brothers who threw him in a pit for him to die. He served and he saw purpose. And he just continued to serve. Here is our first offensive deed. Do nothing but serve, no matter who. Take a note from Joseph's book as he battled. He battled through service. There is a, when you serve, there is something that God does in you, and it's, it's a wonderful feeling. You know, I work at work, and I have a, I'm the second guy in command there might say I'm kind of the Joseph there I guess in one sense but I'll go down to the bathroom and nobody has to ask me I'll just sometimes it needs service and cleaned up and I go find stuff and just clean it up real quick you know I don't tell anybody or anything it just you know just needs to be done and you know I'll tell you what I feel good about that there's a saying don't wash who washes a rented car? Christian life. You know, there's things about serving. So do nothing but serve, no matter who or what the situation is. There's, that's the right thing to do. That's a good offensive strategy. God, you've seen God get behind Joseph. Now turn to the book of Job, where we'll get our second person and second offensive D. Job. I guess you figured out who the person is. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. 
And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. What a wonderful life. He was right with God. But trouble came his way still. Quite a trial. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day. And he sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job, Job. I wish, if there's one thing in the Bible I wish God would have changed is, is put an E on the end of Job. Because <laughs> I call him Job quite a bit. <laughs> Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of men did come present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Has thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side, that thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land? But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face." And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. Now we're going to see the start of a very bad day here. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he's yet speaking, there comes also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle. I can't believe how sore of a trial this was. And shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. You're going to find out what worship is here. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now listen very closely to verse 22. 
we will find Job's great offensive standout strategy. Verse 22, in all this, Job sinned not, and listen to these words, nor charged God foolishly. In Job chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. After all this, and he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Listen to this, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What is he saying there? You don't know God, like a godless person you're, you're talking. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job, Job sin with his lips. Though Job didn't have an answer at that point for his trials, he defended God. He defended God. You're not going to say anything bad against God. That's the second D. That's the standout quality that you see in Job. Don't say anything bad about God no matter what. There is no bad in God. God deserves nothing out of our lips that says bad, only good, only put Him up, only worship Him. That's a pretty simple thing to do. Hard thing to follow through with. How do we use God's name? Now we turn to our third character and our third D, Abraham. Now before we get into perhaps maybe the hardest trial a person may go through, we should be reminded that Abraham was familiar with trials. He brought into the light of scriptures, he's brought into the light of scriptures in Genesis chapter 12 with a trial, a trial of faith. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now Hebrews gives us a little more clarity to Genesis chapter 12. It says in Hebrews 11, 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And, when he, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. But let's look at perhaps his greatest trial of faith. His standout offensive strategy that we can learn from Abraham. Genesis 22, 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, and he took a page out of Joseph's book, Behold, here I am. <laughs> and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll tell of thee. Now you fellows have sons. Imagine having to do this. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
It's getting closer. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham was a man of faith. It's the only way he got through this. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God told of him, him of, and Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, laid him upon the altar of the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, thou seest, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Here is Abraham's standout tree. That I feel like the Lord showed me that he, how he got through this trial. He was willing to do the hard thing. Here's the D. Determine to do whatever God tells you to do, no matter how hard. Sometimes it's in a message and God speaks to you. And you know you should do something. But it may be hard. I don't know what that could be. Do it, no matter how hard. This is... The offensive strategy of, strategy of living for God, this is how you win. This is how you move forward, folks. Now we're on the last D of our D day message. Now Winston Churchill okay, was renowned. This is what he was renowned for, his words and speech. He was powerful. In speech, he was a great speaker. He skillfully used his words to produce great courage with his nation, a courage that would produce the resolve to never give in. May I say that in like fashion, the Word of God, which we spoke about this morning, that must live and burn within us, that will ultimately defeat the enemy. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Our final man that we will look at was both man and God, the Lord Jesus. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. He knew what great trials are in the flesh and he knew what it was like to be tempted when at your very worst. I'll tell you, I've been sick the last few days. And uh, of course, Tim Reader, they're living right next door. I think he thinks I'm mad at him. But I'm just, you know, I don't feel like it, but it doesn't matter. I got things to do. You know, I'm not that sick. And so, but I'm not that kind sometimes. <laughs> 
you know, and I'm flustered, and I'm sweating, and I don't feel good or whatever, and I'm trying to get something done, somebody's asking me for something. You know, you know how that, that is when you're at your worst. Well, Jesus was brought <laughs> to his worst. We're going to find that Jesus won this battle by an offensive strategy that we need to heed to. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he, was fa when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Anybody here uh, fast 40 days and 40 nights before? Um, you know, in a big group you might, might find it where most people, the only time they fasted is overnight for a blood draw. <laughs> you know? He was afterward a hungered, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up to the holy city, setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, Bible, uh, devil knows the word of God, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taken him up to an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto, Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. You know, it's kind of interesting, but Jesus had ministering angels all the time. If, if he wasn't to scrape his foot on a stone, they would make sure of it. They were all left for him to be tempted, and they all came back to minister to him at the end of this. The word of God is an offensive weapon. Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We dare not trust our thoughts and words in fighting the Christian battle. The Bible warns us of the probable ill use of our tongue. Just read James. It is not a weapon, but rather an unruly evil to be tamed. It is the Word of God that we must yield our lips to. The Word of God never fails. The problem with us is the closest words to our lips is generally not the Word of God. We can get to that point. If we really love God, we really dive in, we really study His Word, we really get it there, it can be at the very front of our lips. And that is powerful. Not our thoughts and our words, but God's Word. We must Get the Word of God and plant it in our hearts and mind and through and at the direction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's tied with the Word of God. It's called the sword of the Spirit. The last D, devote yourself wholly to the Word of God no matter what else presses. It needs to be a priority. D-Day was the great offensive strategy of World War II. D-Day, the great offensive strategy for Christian victory. Joseph, do nothing but serve. 
no matter who it is you serve. Just enjoy it. This is your work. Job, don't say anything bad about God, no matter what happens. This is your worship. Abraham, determined to do whatever God tells you to do, no matter how hard. This is your willpower. And then Jesus, devote yourself wholly to the word of God, no matter what else presses. This is your wisdom, your work, your worship, your willpower, your wisdom. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And piano's coming to play. This is really just a simple four-point message with four people who you cannot deny the strength, the offensive strength that they got through the trial with. Joseph <coughs> just served through it all. Just served whoever what it was. He never even took things for himself, just what he needed. Build his life around serving. Job would not say anything bad about God. I think that's worship, is to exalt God, to know him and know how great he is, no matter what the situation, as bad as Job had it, he still would not say anything bad about God. Abraham. Go, Abraham. Go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where. Just You just get going. Leave your family and all that stuff. Take them and go. Then take your son up and sacrifice him on a mountain. Abraham determined to do whatever God told him to do, no matter how hard. And Jesus Brought to the hardest point. So he was tempted in all points like as we were, yet without sin. And what did he rely on? The overwhelming offensive thing he had was thus saith the Lord, the word of God. This is your wisdom. take the message to heart. It's just a really simple message. <laughs> it's a really amazing thing that's hard to do, but I hope it's blessed your heart today. Father, thank you again for your word.